With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Citation Mets fans, welcome to this week's edition. For all you kids out there, Mets adjacent baseball prospectus podcast. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternastro. With me once again this week is Jared Seidler. Jared, it is 2.28 on Sunday, April the 4th. Do you know where your Mets baseball season is? In Philly tomorrow night? Yeah. I'm going to be there. I I don't want to start a controversy on Twitter since this is apparently controversial that vaccinated people aren't supposed to be doing stuff still. But I, I'm going to the first two games in Philly this week. Looking forward to it. That exciting Jacob DeGrom versus Matt Moore opening day start. Yeah. Marcus Stroman versus Chase Anderson on Tuesday. Yeah. They really didn't call up Spencer Howard, huh? No. I mean, they dumped Vince Velasquez in the bullpen. So. Yeah. Which, I mean, they should have done that four years ago, probably. Yeah. Uh, you know. The Phillies continuing to run out Velasquez and Pavetta as if they were just going to magically pull it together has been an interesting subplot over the last, I don't know, five years at this point. Mm. Uh, Obviously, Pavetta's gone and Velasquez is in the bullpen because, hey, it's Dave Dombrowski now, and Dave Dombrowski does not really fuck around with this kind of stuff. He is going to bring in the Roll 45 veterans to fill those spots. Yep. I like that we literally told Jane last night, this is mostly a Phillies podcast, and here we are, (laughs) starting off with Phillies content. Well, there's no Mets content, so Uh, to catch you all up to speed, since I'm, in case you haven't been paying attention, which, you know. So we did a podcast very late Thursday night about the Lindor signing. Yes. Um, Not much more has come out. They have not actually officially announced it yet. That's pretty common. I don't think there's anything there um Lindor did a press conference on Friday and also did CC Sabathia's podcast uh both of them are worth listening to uh he touched on a number of issues uh you know relating to his thought process during this it does seem pretty clear to me from what he had done previously that he basically told his agent to squeeze every cent out of the Mets that he could and then take it 20 minutes before he was planning to cut off negotiations. Just yeah. take, that's, that's, you know, once, once it got over a certain, basically once they had the dinner meeting where the mm-hmm. Mets up their offer into the three twenties. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, the reporting on this was just fucking stellar by the way. <laughs> As always. Yeah, I mean, both bo- both sides were using local, mostly local media, a few national people, mostly local media, to try and ratchet up the pressure on the other side. Yep. Um, again, you do not need to uncritically run everything a baseball person tells you, whether that's about agent negotiations, trade negotiations, lineup maneuvers, prospects. 
Lord knows that happens a lot about prospects. What's the old line? Journalism is putting something people don't want you to. Otherwise, everything else is just PR. Yeah, stenography is my line. But you know, if, if whatever. You're going... This is like it already doesn't matter, and it's certainly not going to matter in a week. Right, but it matters for the next. It's going to matter for the Michael Conforto negotiations, which may or may not be ongoing, and it's going to matter for the Jacob Degrom negotiations, which may or may not be ongoing. And you know, we. You know, everybody wants to play along because it's a social media era and it's quick hit information. But, you know, that contract is pretty detailed. There, There's a lot of stuff in it. There's significant cash deferrals. There's a 15-team no-trade clause. You know, I'm sure there's various perks. There's a big signing bonus. There were people reporting a couple hours before that deal was struck that there were no talks. Mm-hmm. How does that work exactly? You know. There, well, didn't we just say like two weeks ago that oftentimes when you're getting breaking news stuff like that, it's actually hours or days old? Because you're yes, not getting stuff in real time. But but the reporters will say it's not. Yeah. You know. <sighs> Look, everybody knows everybody knows how to play the game here. And everybody right. is playing a very specific game. Right. And you know, I got a little pessimistic as this didn't get announced. Even as I had people various people in baseball in my ear telling me this is probably gonna get done. <laughs> you know. <laughs> including people that, you know, would have been more in a position to know than I am. Mm-hmm. You know, I started canvassing everybody I could come up with, and most of the people, this was essentially for my own sanity, I didn't report any of it or anything, sure. most people I talked to in the, you know, on Wednesday afternoon and Wednesday night still thought the deal was going to get done, even as every reporter on the planet was negotiating something between no on, was saying something between no ongoing negotiations or negotiations had broken off or stalemate that doesn't look good. Right. Except for Jeff Passan, yeah. who uh, just happened to, on Wednesday afternoon, float a potential compromise solution that ended up being very close to what actually happened. How about that, Jeffrey? Mm. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, whatever. It like I can't... In the moment, it, it's obnoxious. Yeah, somebody's gonna somebody's gonna write a process story in two weeks about right. how all this happened. If you go back and compare it to the contemporaneous reporting, it's not gonna <laughs> no. match and that is what it is, and I'm gonna complain about it next time too. Much and, like that piece in the athletic about the Mets Mariners trade. Yeah. Um you know, it it's you know, Lindor Lindor clearly wanted to extend with the Mets mm-hmm. at a certain point. Right. And, you know, they offered him an awful lot of money. You know, he got a market value free agent contract. If he was a free agent off this, this offseason, this contract he would have gotten. He would have gotten something around 11 years and $365 million, which is about what he's getting between the two contracts. Right. It's 363 But that's, you know, if he was a free agent this offseason, this is what we would have gotten. Right. He wouldn't have gotten a lot more. He wouldn't have gotten I mean, a lot less. Well, short, of having right a, short of having an all-time MVP level season or getting hurt, right? 
Right, no, I'm saying if he was a, if he anything if between like a three and a half and six win player, he's probably getting this money. If Cleveland had non tendered him instead of trading him for whatever dumbass yeah. reason, Cleveland <laughs> does things. This is about the contract he would have gotten. If you, would, sure. if you yeah, combine yeah. the arbitration award yep. and his contract, it's about what he would have gotten. So this is market value. Which deal. is fine. That's why you, you go and trade this guy for this guy. Yes. You get the exclusive negotiating window and you get it done. Yes. The Saber 2.0 philosophy on this is that the Mets only traded for the one year. Right. Because they paid him a market value extension on top of it. But that only works to the extent that that's not a unique player. Mm-hmm. You cannot get a Francisco Lindor caliber player on the market. Craig tried to there convince are... me that Trevor's story is just as good on five and dive. I disputed that. Yeah. But the other thing is like Trevor's story might get $300 million. Yeah. He, like, would you be shocked Trevor... if he signs for like 10 and 300 with somebody? Trevor's story is also a couple years older. Yeah. You know, this is back to the Mark Canna, Michael Conforto discussion. <laughs> like, you can get... Main man, Mark Canna. Right. He's a year older. Mm-hmm. Um, almost exactly a year older. You can get four-win shortstop production with the market, let's yeah. say, every other offseason. But, hey, Lindor might be better than that. And... You really can't get roll eights. Like right. you, you just can't get them. They're very difficult to acquire. I mean, I guess we can get into a whole long discussion on whether Harper and Machado are sevens or eights. I would probably argue seven for both, but yeah, that that's a Machado. I you know, it's a tough one. Got breaking news as we're recording. Of course, go ahead. Ty Bashler has been designated for assignment. <laughs> oh my God. Anyway, the Pittsburgh. Yeah. yeah, I think they brought him back. He was like he, the Sandy regime liked him. Sure. Third time to the order is not going well for Tariq Skubal. Yeah, that that's going to be. I'm ready about him for finishing school. So I, I should say we we uh, let's talk about the Mets. We're talk, we'll talk about what we've been watching. Well, let's talk about the Mets. Uh, yes, was it Thursday Wednesday night we did a podcast, and yeah. Thursday morning the Mets. Opening day against the Nationals got kiboshed because the Nationals had a COVID positive and multiple people in contact tracing slash the protocols that eventually expanded to four players banging the entire series. I want to talk about COVID for a minute because, you know, I think there's a lot of stuff worth talking about here. I kind of mentioned at the top, I, I do think if you are vaccinated, you can, you know, resume some level of normal activity. I would say limited capacity outdoor baseball is probably a reasonable. Well, you know, I in consultation with my doctors, it's been determined that's a reasonable level of risk for me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but part of that is get the fucking vaccine, like right. you know. And this has been an ongoing thing with the Mets. You now have two Mets players. I mean, it's not go ju- out. It's not just the Mets, to be clear. Right, but you've had two Mets players over the last couple of days. Go out to the media and give, like, the bullshit it's a personal choice line and, you know, we're, we're not really, you know, doing anything as a team. Get the fucking vaccine, you idiot. <laughs> like, come on. I talked about I, this I'm, with... I'm tired of people making excuses for these guys, too. 
I talked about when, this. With when you Craig, say it's when you say it's a personal choice and this kind of stuff, you are, you know, you guys are getting paid an awful lot of money, and part of that is to be public figures, and you're out there spouting anti-vaxxer shit. Yeah, I. Uh, so I'm of two minds. The, pers- the personal choice is an anti-vaxxer line. No, I know. Um, it's kind of weird that they're getting asked this question, and I get why they are. But, and I would prefer that they, as, you know, I guess role models or major public figures took a good public health stand on this. But I also don't like, why are we getting public health advice from Major League Baseball players? And I get this is basically probably the union has sent out a talking point on this, which is a larger issue here. I, in sort of I the am, greater context of labor I relations. Both- but pro-union in general and generally pro-MLBPA, they're fucking this up. They are fucking this up. I mean, I think the league, weirdly enough, handled it correctly by essentially putting in a, you know, allowing to loosen the protocols. Like, it's like the carrot and the stick kind of thing. Yeah. Because they probably can't get this actually spelled out in the, in like a collective bargaining sense. Yeah. I don't know. It's, I, there's no, you know, we talked about before we started recording. The only way to really, I think, enforce, I don't want to say enforce, but to really get, I think, more comprehensive herd immunity among the players at large is to literally, if you, like, the Nationals should forfeit the entire series and these guys will get vaccinated. But I don't, because of where we are right now and the way Major League Baseball has handled the protocols in the past, like guys can get infected. It's just, you know, they're not bubbling. They're still doing commercial aircraft, uh, airplane travel in a lot of cases, and they're in airports and stuff like that. Like, I don't. And in a lot of cases in the state they're in, they're not eligible. So I don't. I don't blame to... the nationals. Right. No, yeah. Know? That we we have no idea what it, there was a lot of talk about this when the Marlins and the yeah. Cardinals had outbreaks last year, a little it less does, when it, the Mets did because there was less, um, you know, there was less infection and less time off. But like you know, this and this it does stuff become everything is a everything is a hammer for both sides in this. A lot of MLB's restrictions are also like blatant security theater too. Right. You know, MLB is doing the same corporate bullshit magic spray down right, stuff yeah. as everybody else, even though we've known for nine months that surface to surface transmission is not significant with this particular virus. So. Yeah, I mean, the idea that J.D. Davis and Michael Conforto are going to go out there and spout the same shit that Robert Kennedy Jr. is putting on Instagram, I'm, you know, like, miss me with that stuff. And, you know, if you don't want that to affect your fandom of those two guys, fine. But, like, let's stop spinning this into some... Something that it's not. This is... These are bullshit anti-vaxxer lines. Um, and, and to be clear, these are not the only people around baseball doing it. Uh, 
Trevor Bauer did it and half the Dodgers <laughs> yep. backed him up. So, And that's like yeah. a, what a lot of this comes down to is, you know, maybe there's 23 out of 26 Mets that are going to line up for vaccines as soon as they're back in New York City. But nobody wants to be that guy to call out somebody in the locker room, even if, you know, they're not doing it publicly. The guy. Why? I know. But that's the culture there's of the other, game in a lot of ways. The reactions from most of the teams that have been asked about this and most of the players have been asked about this is, yeah, get the vaccination. And you've got teams out there touting that yeah, the, the entire team, that. almost the entire team got vaccinated. Houston, Detroit, the Angels, the Reds. Like, you, you can choose to do that. You can, yes. That is a choice you can make. Right. Like, you know. And you can, as a PR department, and yeah, if you guys want to give me a call over this, go ahead. I, <laughs> I, know, I'm, I know I'm tempting fate here. You can stop putting players out there that are going to say this line. Yeah. You, you no longer have clubhouse access to reporters. So the Mets PR department completely controls the narrative on this kind of stuff. The only reason you had to put Conforto out there today is because Cohen and Alderson kept pushing back their press conference and people started speculating. You, you can you can find the pro-vaxxers on their team that are mm. going to go, hell yeah, I got my shot, and put them out there when this is the major news story dominating your team. You can do that. That is something you can do, Mets PR department. If you want to call me and yell at me about this, go ahead. If you want to call Craig and yell at him that I did this, go ahead. But get your fucking shit together. Uh, so what have you been watching since there's been no Mets baseball? Oh, a lot of other teams. I, I've watched more of the... I mean, I've been staying up a little later than I should to watch more of the White Sox Angels series. It's been a fun but... series. The it's Angels been an might be like those might those might be like the two like MLB.tv teams at least at this point in the season because there's like yeah. a lot of fun guys on both of those teams. And the Angels like with the four bullpen moves they made the last week of uh, spring training basically like I talked about this with Bradford we did the AOS preview and I think he might actually be right like they've gone from like a really extreme scars uh, stars and scrubs team to like stars and average dudes right and it's that might not, be that might be enough in that division and this is something we discussed last week on the bullpen preview part of the right. podcast it's not actually that hard to dig up the steve c shacks and tony watson's of the world to replace the jerry's familias and Dylan patances yeah so they got aggressive they could guarantee them a major league spot basically and you know chris rodriguez looked like give you a real multi Inning weapon, assuming his back holds up. The White Sox are a shit show because Larusa seems to still think it's like 1986. It's uh, yeah, they're yeah. entertaining in a different kind of way. But they've also got a lot of really yeah. entertaining players. You, you know? the Yerman Mercedes experience. Louis Roberts really entertaining. Magical's really entertaining. Tim Anderson's really entertaining. Jose Abreu's really entertaining. I appreciate Larry Garcia doing a uh, Eloy Jimenez tribute did you see that he had like the yeah. four buttons undone <laughs> yeah but just like these fucking lot first of all the yeah. dude 2021 in a dh lineup walked albert pujols and he did yeah. i understand albert pujols is literally his favorite player like mm -hmm. of all time that played for him 
he, the dude is washed. He was washed five years ago. Yeah. He walked Albert Pujols to pitch to Jose Iglesias, who was actually good last right. year. And if, like Jose Iglesias is more likely to hit a single in that spot than, I mean, in most spots than Albert Pujols, but especially right. in 2021. But he's just, I mean, he's been hitting Zach Collins and Leori Garcia ahead of Robert Madrigal. He's been... I would literally prefer he catch Yermin Mercedes to Zach Collins at this point. Well, it's not catch, it's DH. Mm. I know, but Collins did catch last night, but yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, um... Yeah, like he seems like he seems to think Zach Collins is a regular. Yeah. Didn't start. They carried Andrew Vaughn on opening day and didn't start him. They started Garcia and Collins at left field in DH yeah. over Andrew Vaughn. And Vaughn, now, like, whatever, it's two games. Vaughn hasn't looked amazing, but no, I'm not. You know, but, but yeah, you make that decision. You carry yeah. him. You gotta play him. Like you can't. <laughs> you can't carry him and not play him. Uh. I need to switch. Yeah. I have no idea why I'm still watching this. Yeah, we've, I've got the Yankees and the Blue Jays and the Phillies and the Atlanta. Um, oh, Ian Brady, Anderson. Brady Singer's pitching. I'll watch Brady Singer. Ian Anderson, five innings, one run, seven strikeouts. He didn't. He had, like, no fastball command either. Yes, but they couldn't touch the change. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. The breaking ball looked that's... all right, too. Do you think the change? Do you think Ian Anderson's change is still a project fifty-five pitch, Jeffrey? What else have you been watching, Jared? So an awful lot of people say that that was only. We have a Paul question Ch- about the Matt Harvey Tanner Houck matchup for the third half of the show, so we'll cover that then. But I've been watching a fair amount of the Orioles Red Sox series too. I I am not ready to declare Ian Anderson's changeup a current eight. Mm-hmm. It is certainly flashing eight. Sure. And it is certainly a potential eight at this point, because when you flash an eight pretty consistently over the course of two separate seasons, you might actually just be an eight. That That is a thing. It might be a seven, too, but... Um, I've, I've watched too much Rays, as always. Yeah, I mean, the Marlins are actually, and I said this on Twitter already, they're like an obnoxiously fun team. Tyler Glass now looked really good on he did. Thursday. Yeah, the Marlins, I... I, I Sixto's got a little shoulder inflammation, which is not what you want, but it you're doesn't a lot sound more, like it's going to be major. You're a lot more convinced Jazz Chisholm is good than I am. As I'm not even convinced now. he's like... I mean, I have been in the past, certainly, but I'm not convinced he's a wildly better player than he was two years ago, but... He is remarkably fun. Sure. He's and I think also, he's at least like, like never a, shown any ability to identify a breaking ball going back to a ball. I mean, the I've watched literally every one of his at bats at this point this season. I think there is, uh, and there has been some improvement there. Like he's never going to be like an above average strikeout rate guy, but I would hope it would improve. He, he's, been bad up to this point. Like, I don't you know, know why they're playing him at second base and Rojas at shortstop. I mean, I kind of do, but yeah. It's a, but Rojas, a, Rojas can play. Like Rojas has played second before. It's not like it's yeah. Chisholm was, you know, I, I he was not definitely a shortstop anyway. No, so, he was, um, and like I, Rojas, Rojas is fine there. Like he's not. I don't. You know what's really struck out 
Yeah. I've been struck out in watching that series. Lewis Brinson is oh, never, yeah, it's he is not figuring it out. I have yeah. no idea why they're still doing that. Like, he is. They don't have, like, a real center fielder, I guess. They sure they do. They have Starling Marte. They've been running him out yeah. and left. Marte, like, I, I kind of. They're yeah. starting him over Adam Duvall and left. Yeah. And I just, like, I. You know, Lewis Brinson's like one of those guys that's sneaky old at this point. He's yeah. he's he turns twenty seven in a few weeks. And you know, there is I suppose he's got he could still be a fourth outfield type, but he still has like I mean it's more like fifth, but he is like a speed and defense guy still, so the defense isn't that good. It's good enough, especially if you're starting Adam Duval and left, so Right, but like if you know, you generally want to bring some additional value. Yeah, when you're that type of profile, you know, especially if you're going to be under 2021 NL rules where yeah. there's still no DH and teams are carrying an awful lot of pitchers. Like he doesn't have the ability to hit lefties. He doesn't really have any meaningful pop. I know he's got raw, but he doesn't right. get to it games. He might have the worst contact tool of anybody <laughs> in the majors. I have to think about it, but... Right, right. like, you know... Uh, Zach I Eflin Jeff just, hang, is not Zach Eflin just definitely hung one to Travis. <laughs> yeah. That is a thing that happens. That got out in a hurry. Yeah. Um... Zach Eflin is still Zach Eflin. So, yeah, you know, I haven't, I haven't been watching like constant baseball and doing other stuff too. I got other stuff going on in the old life, but uh, yeah, I've also like reached the age where West Coast baseball is actually like tough for me to watch. Tough for me to stay up that late. Yeah, I mean, I'm up anyway, so I'm, like, quad-boxing late games. Brady Singer just also gave up a massive bomb to Nate Lowe. Nate Lowe might be uh, pretty good. Yeah. It was an everyday... He's got to get an everyday job. Like, I'm not pretty good. Not amazing, but pretty good. Yeah. Mm. You know, I know a lot of David people... Dolls. I've watched way too much Rangers-Royals, I'm now realizing. Why? It's... I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah. Those are those are just bad teams. They're, I mean, the Royals teams. are okay. The Rangers are, might be just they might be really bad. Yeah, so I kind of mostly been watching like the Eastern divisions. Yeah, and seen some of the Phillies Braves series. Yeah, it's again you don't want to jump to any conclusions off two to three games, but man, I still think the Braves are the best team in the division, but they probably should have done more to make that more obvious. Like there's a scenario where Charlie Morton <laughs> takes a step back because he's old and like Drew Smiley's still starting here too. Yeah. And they had a lot of guys have like career years last year. Yeah. Like I, I'm, Really not convinced that Marcelo Zuna is like a five-win player. 
you know, Max based Reed on the fact take that a step back. Yeah. You know, Dancy Swanson had a functionally a career year. Travis Darno functionally had a career year. Freddie Freeman obviously had a <laughs> yeah. career year. Yeah. So like, again, all these guys might still be good. But I don't know if I put some head and shoulders above the rest of the division, especially with the pitching being a little more shallow than it was, you know, at this time, I don't know, end of 2019, maybe. When you right. still had, like, hope for, like, oh, Kyle Wright will figure it out. Or, you know, Tuki Toussaint can be a real weapon. You know, you had Bryce Wilson. Like, you've had another year plus of these guys. It's kind of like, eh, maybe not. You know, Sean Newcomb might have still been in the rotation at that point. Yeah. You know, theoretically, Mike Soroka is going to be back. Yeah, he looked okay in the late spring start. So, But again, you never know until you know. Yeah. Like, there's some... There's some good things going on there, but it's like a weirdly high-variance team. Yeah. Like, is Christian Pache really going to hit in the majors right now? TBD. Yeah. Is he going to hit in the majors ever? I mean, I think he'll be... I don't want to say the floor, but I think a reasonable outcome would be, like, better Ender and Ciarte. Yeah. Which will actually make Braves fans mad for some reason. I mean, the reason is because you've had people out there saying he's one of the five to ten best prospects in baseball. Sure. I mean, it's... it's... We have not ranked him quite that high, but we're not that far behind. So this is a a lazy comp, but I want to make a point about this kind of profile generally. Uh, oh, I was involved. I was involved in two of these lists. I was primary on one of them. We ranked Manny Margot 61st, 14th, and 18th, which was higher than the industry at large, but. Before 2017, Pipeline had him 23rd and BA had him 24th. So, whatever. Um, I mean, the difference is, Margot, you're betting you're betting on the hit tool with Pache. You're betting on the power tool. Hit tool's got to get there to get the power into games, right? Yeah, and like, you know, Manny Margot's been essentially the. You know, it's like if Juan Lagares had stayed healthy, basically. I know he doesn't have the obscene defensive metrics that Lagares had, but he's you know, he's clearly a plus center fielder. It's not like, you know. and he's been like, I, I'll put it this way: he's where you hoped Juan Lagares' bat would have gotten to. <laughs> He's a career two fifty one, three hundred four, three ninety three hitter. Yeah. It's like uh, a nice, solid roll five starter. Yep. You know, I think ultimately the shape of Pache's production would be different. If he was that, if, like, if he was a 10% worse than league average hitter, it'd be like, I don't know, 240, 285, 400, something like that. Yeah. With that kind of defense? Maybe even a little bit better defense? Yeah. 
I mean, at that point, we're talking about Juan Ligaris, basically. Yeah. I mean, if Juan Ligaris had stayed healthy, he'd be probably still starting. He's now hitting tanks. That's the Juan Ligaris thing. Sure. Angels want him in the starting. Angels fans want him in the starting lineup. Sure, they do. Come on. Yeah. I. You know, all of the projection systems say the Mets are a better team than Atlanta. It's not just Pakoda. Pakoda has the largest gap. Pakoda has the largest gap, but... We don't know, because the Mets haven't played baseball yet. Yeah. It does sound like um, they might be starting Pilar on New uh, I don't think they're now, actually going to do that, but... I don't know. It is not not happening, so... I didn't think we'd be having the annual Brandon Nimmo is he a platoon guy controversy. It's literally Matt Moore. Like so, if they had actually played this series, and you know Nimmo had started Thursday and Saturday, and it's Sunday, and Patrick Corbin started, yeah, fine, give Kevin Pilar a start. I do think there's a a point here, and you know, this is something that Chris Woodward did in Texas. As I said, I've watched a lot of Rangers Royals games. Uh, like he specifically started, I think it was, was it Gallo and somebody else? Like he DH'd Eli White for opening day because he wanted to make the point that like Joey da- Gallo was like an opening day right fielder and like signal that to the clubhouse. Yeah, I think there is value, and again, literally Matt Moore just. You don't even have to hit him leadoff. You can hit McNeil leadoff against lefties. That's something you might want to do anyway. Um, but make the point that Brendan Nemo is your opening day center fielder. I think there is actual, you know, locker room value in that. And it's really not going to move the needle that much on, you know, one game lineup maximization. Kevin Pillar is going to get plenty of starts against lefties this year. It's not not going to be a meaningful long-term strategy to start Brandon Nemo against every lefty. Yeah. All right, let's take a break. We come back. We will answer your correspondence. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back. Now it's time for the third half of the show. Before we do the third half of the show, we do housekeeping. This is for all you kids out there. Episode 274. For all you kids out there, it's a Mets adjacent baseball prospectus podcast. You can find us on the internet, baseballprospectus.com. The podcast is on iTunes and various other non-iOS apps. Just search for for all you kids out there and you can listen or subscribe right there. I encourage you to do both. I also encourage you to rate and view the podcast. If you want to get in contact with the show, we're on Twitter at For All You Kids. Jared's on Twitter at J.A. Seidler. I'm on Twitter at Jeff Paternostro. We have a Facebook group, 
at facebook.com slash groups slash for all you kids out there. And you can email the show at all you kids at baseballperspectus.com. A couple of emails. The first one is from JJ Mack. Ahoy, Jeffrey and Jarrett. In a blatant attempt to troll me, a friend of mine replied to the Lindor extension by saying, on congratulations on signing the Jason Hayward of shortstops. While my friend is a Cardinals fan and therefore wrong about everything, I did attempt to illustrate him for why that comparison was faulty by means of comparing past statistical performance, indicating Lindor was a superior player and noting that 2020 stats don't count, to which my troglodytic interlocutor sent a screen cap to the WRC Plus column of each player's fangraphs page, along with the caption, Elite Defense, Good Not Great Bat. While I feel my repost was sufficiently comprehensive, I have become curious. What reason would you more knowledgeable gents propose to support the contention that Lindor is more likely to continue to develop positively with the bat than Plateau offensively a la Hayward? You probably just cite Hayward's injuries, but I'm trying to email you guys more this season, so I thought I'd ask. Excelsior, JJ in Oregon. P.S. Jeffrey, I hope your daughter continues to be content with the Mountain Goats, but as a word of warning, my oldest supplied a steady diet of Bowie, talking heads, and the Ramones without objection until about age two, at which point she started rebelling and jonesing for kitty music. I blame story time at the library. Hey, if we can get to the library by the time she's two, I'll be happy. Only now at age four, she's starting to come back to the good stuff, expressing interest in the Beatles, the Cure, and Chad Van Gallen. I'm telling you, man, do not fear the Raffi. Embrace the Raffi. The other options are much, much worse. Um, elite defense in left field versus elite defense in shortstop is a fairly right big field. gap. <laughs> right field, wherever. Corner, outfield. Right, yes. that's. Um, so Jason Hayward has been about 10% below league average with yeah. the bat in his first five seasons with the Cubs. Yeah. If you are 10% below average offensively in right field, it does not matter how good you are. <laughs> it is a fucking disaster. If you're 10% below average at, at playing a seven or eight shortstop, you're fine. Yeah. And also... There's no re- There wasn't reason to think the time of the Hayward. You could argue the Hayward contract was an overpay. There was no reason to think he would suddenly become a below-average hitter. There was reason to think, okay, I mean, but he had been an above-average hitter. Probably not enough to justify the deal, but he, he, he was no. I, I mean, he slugged three eighty four two yeah. seasons before, before he got the contract. Yeah, well, I mean, he wasn't it's, as bad as he was. With in the, the three seasons before that, co- he got that contract. He hit two seventy four five three fifty three four fifteen. I uh, supposed to say that the um, mid twenty ten Chicago Cubs front office was the greatest front office in the history of baseball because they're all friends with reporters that I have to pretend to like. But, yeah, that was a bad contract from the second it was signed. It was obvious it was a bad contract from the second it was signed. It became significantly worse when this offense completely collapsed. But, um, you know. I mean, that's the thing, right? If I'll take his last full season with the Cubs. If Lindor hits 251, 343, 429, which is was a 104 DRC plus in this case, which would be his worst offensive season. And plays level of shortstop defense. He's been played. He's played for his entire career. It's still like a three and a half, four win player, probably. I would say the Jason Hayward contract was based off of a misunderstanding, which was very prevalent on both the public and private analytics sides at the exact moment the contract was signed five and a half years ago about 
A, the value of corner outfield defense, and B, the projectability of corner outfield defense moving forward, and C, the reliability of outfield defense metrics, which at the time were terrible both publicly and privately, and are now good privately but still terrible publicly. And he was a young free agent, which is also part of the driving force here. Yes, and also misunderstandings about the aging curve. And And he did have injuries, and he did, like... Jason Hayward peaked as a player at age 20. It happened. Yeah, it does happen. And it was very the Sean Burroughs problem, yeah. It was very clear by the time he was signing that contract that he had peaked as a player at age 20. Yeah. Like, that was not... That should not have been debatable at that point in time, but the Cubs were unable to see that and were unable to parse out the value of outfield defense and basically paid for his F4 or B war or whatever. I mean, Warp said he was a 5.1 win player and a 4.5 win player in 2014 and 2015, the two years before the contract. Yeah, Warp, so, yeah. They, they paid for, they paid for mid, they paid based on high confidence. In, he was a 25 plus 25 corner outfielder. Yeah. Right. They paid for high confidence in defensive metrics that they should have known better about. Yep. And it was obvious at the time they should have known better about it too. Like yep. this is not hindsight. That, that, that was obvious at the time, but you know, there's a difference between that and we have a much better handle, by the way, on infield metrics and outfield metrics. Also true, yeah. Um, you know, and I, my belief is that is still true for private analytics too. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually probably have the best uh, on catching at this point. Yeah, but yeah, I mean. I, I would certainly feel conf- more confident both in shortstop defense accurately measuring the value of shortstops, but also just going with a shortstop instead of a right fielder when you're signing a guy yeah. in large part based on his defense. Because, yeah. Again, let's let's go back to Manuel Margot for a second. Sure. You know, he's... Essentially the same player as Jason Hayward at this point. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, they're about the same hitter. They're about the same defender. Also, Jason Hayward never hit 300 in a season. I don't even. Did he even hit 280 at any point in time? You know, once the Padres reached a point in their contention cycle where they were actually trying to win. And once he hit arbitration, they flipped Margot for like a good, not great short reliever. That's how much it costs to go get that guy on the market. Right. It does not cost an eight year contract. Jason, I think that that is something that teams have learned in the last few years. Career high in batting average is 293. His career high in slugging is 479. (laughs) Lindor's is. 313 and 519. Yeah, I mean, is a better hitter than he yeah. is, too. But that's all, if you're looking at the downside risk here, it's a lot lower because Lindor is a much better defender at a much tougher position. Uh, that's also reflected in the fact that Lindor got twice as much money as Hayward did. Sure. But there is... There's downside. There's always downside risk on yeah. signing a guy to for a ten-year contract. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's ten plus one, yeah, yeah. so it's really eleven. You know, there's injury downside. Although I'm sure the contract will be partially insured, at least partially insured. Mm-hmm. 
So you've got your injury downside, you've got your performance collapse downside, both of which are kind of intermingled, because when we say injury downside, we're thinking like career-ending injury, but sometimes there's injuries that allow guys to play at a diminished level. Yeah. Evan Longoria injuries. Mm-hmm. I'm now receiving a gesture from the other side of the room. I mean, he's been. He, I would bet Evan Longoria might have been a better player the last three years than Jason Hayward, but yes. Yeah, so there's there's downside risk that Albert Pujols. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's probably... I think Lindor probably... The Lindor contract, from the Mets' perspective, probably has like better 25th and 30th type percentile outcomes right. than most of these, because I, I, it would be hard for me to imagine a scenario where he's not at least an okay hitter and a good shortstop in, like say, six years. Like, it's the good Elvis Andrews seasons, maybe? Right. Something like that. And, Brandon, Cro- might, Brandon Crawford, if it goes power over hit instead of hit, hit over power. But it might have a little lesser upside, like the 50th percentile than mm-hmm. you might want. Because there's not... You know, he has never had a season in which he has done all the things he is great at at the same time. Mm-hmm. Now that also means there's higher upside at the extreme other end. Right, right. Because there is the possibility that, you know, there's the 310, 40 home run gold glove season where he wins the MVP award. That's mm-hmm. that's there too. So I, I do think the distribution of outcomes here is a little different than uh, say the Mike Trout contract or right. the Mookie Betts contract. I do think the you know modal distribution here is probably a little bit different. But again, it's it's not. Let's get back to the point here. Let's get yep. back to JJ's question. The Rickets have enough money that this does not matter. I mean, it they really are, hasn't. I mean, until yes. recently, but yeah. right. Yes, um, Steve Cohen also has enough money that this just does not matter. If the Ricketts were not going to spend that money on Jason Hayward and would not have spent it on another baseball player, they would have spent it on the brothers' gubernatorial campaigns or like it, it's just like it's not. I don't get the version of fandom where you're like excited that your team signed a really good contract. Like who cares? It's not your money. Right. Like I, I know. I mean, there's the argument that it, again, it gives you the flexibility to then sign a better contract, but people don't do that. That's the thing. No, it doesn't. If the Jason Hayward, if Jason Hayward was out there winning MVPs, the Cubs would still be letting Rizzo and Baez walk. Sure. It doesn't matter. Really doesn't matter. It matters a little in like hockey, which is a hard salary capped sport. Right. Baseball does not have a salary cap. If you want to say the luxury tax is a salary cap, it is a soft cap in the right. same way that the NBA has a soft cap. And like these numbers, the vast are majority of teams are within a hundred million dollars of that number right now. <laughs> right. These, these numbers are fake. 
doesn't matter. Jason Hayward has never stopped the Cubs from doing anything. The uh, early returns on the Arenado trade don't look great as Austin Gomber has loaded the bases with nobody out and just threw a wild pitch. Who could have possibly predicted? All right, let's uh, go to the next email. This is from Matthew, Q for the P. Hi, Jeffrey and Jarrett. Since you have no Mets games to talk about this week, I thought a weird hypothetical might be interesting. What do you think the chances are that Jacob deGrom and Francisco Lindor are inducted into the Hall of Fame on the same day? Normally a 32-year-old and a 27-year-old would be pretty unlikely to be elected from the same ballot, but deGrom is going to have to wait a few extra years if he does ultimately make it due to the inevitable lack of counting stats he'll have. I imagine the number will be pretty low, 5% at best, considering that neither player is locked to have a good case yet, but I think it's pretty fun to dream about. Thanks as always, Matt. So, I think I've said this before on the show relative to DeGrom's first Cy Young win. I think DeGrom is such a weird, unique case and such going to be such an outlier in the counting stats relative to what we know about Jacob DeGrom as a pitcher that he might not have to get the, like, the Burt Blylevin level buildup. Also because of the changing electorate. Like, yeah, people, I don't like know. he just... Like, it's going to depend a lot on what his decline phase looks like. It is. Too. I mean, there's I, outside of Clemens, I don't think there's anyone that's won three sides and isn't in. You can find two Cy Young winners. I think you know, it's Santana and Brett Saberhagen, and I think Denny McLean might have won two, too. There's a few that would have two, and Lincecum, obviously. Um, but yeah. Um, I think I said to you recently, I think if he has two more seasons like his previous three and then a fairly normal decline period that he gets in. Yeah. I mean, how many pitchers have been, you know, the best pitcher in baseball for five years and not gotten in? Probably more than with hitters just because of the attrition with pitchers. But, you know, I don't think like the Lincecum and Santana peaks are quite that long. You still got to do it. Um you know, it's certainly not written in stone yet, but I don't know if there'll be like a five-year gap. I also feel like Lindor is going to hang around longer than DeGrom, too, because of the particulars of their skill sets. I mean, could DeGrom have like the late career great Greg Maddox, given the present command profile and stuff, even if he starts to bleed velocity in his late 30s? Yeah. I don't know if he's going to want to keep pitching. Uh, they've already opened up some sort of extension negotiations, probably because I don't know if DeGrom's camp has indicated to them they're definitely opting out, and they should absolutely opt out, because, again, as you said, with regards to the Hayward and Lindor stuff, that Francisco Lindor is not going to stop them from writing a $250 million check on the back of the post-opt-out years at this point. And that's the thing they should do. Yeah. There's a there's like sort of like soft value here with keeping Degrom in a Mets uniform for his entire career, but there's actual like hard value of having Jacob Degrom Day and the Jacob Degrom retirement tour and Jacob Degrom going into the Hall of Fame as a Met and Jacob Degrom getting his number retired and selling more Jacob Degrom jerseys. Like this all. 
you know, is it add up to $250 million? No, but he's probably going to give you that value on the field anyway, so. And our final email is from Brady. Good evening, gentlemen. We were watching the Orioles-Red Sox game with Matt Harvey and Tanner Houck in the Discord channel the other day, which you can gain access to for a crisp $6 per month at patreon.com slash for all you kids out there. I've noted before that Brady's better at writing this stuff than I am. And Jeffrey mentioned that Tanner Houck might actually be good now. I was about to rebut with, we need to see if he can go six innings first, but stop myself after remembering that starters don't really go six innings all that often anymore. How does this affect your decision-making when writing at pitching prospects? And how does it change how you rank pitchers relative to hitters? Signed, Roll6 Patreon member Brady. Yeah, I don't know. I just, obviously I was watching Tariq Skubal, and he's also a good example of this. Um, actually a very similar pitcher to Hauk in a lot of ways, uh, which will really, really piss off Tiger's Twitter. But uh, it's the same kind of, you know, Hauk has got like the lower arm slot, might have the better present slider, honestly. If it's not a projectable, but they both are like 95. There's command and durability issues. Um, you know, Hauk has mucked around going between two seam and four seam and back again. But that, the general idea here is you want to throw these guys like 80 pitches or two times through the order. You could read all of uh, Rob Main's stuff on the times of the order penalty at baseball prospectus in recent weeks to sort of spelling out this has sort of always been a thing and why it might be a thing but yeah I don't think it really affected our evaluation of Tanner Houck this offseason no. we asked the Red Sox about Tanner Houck and if I'm perfectly honest they weren't pushing him to the level I would have expected them to push him given his major league performance and given that he was a former first round pick and everything else you can read that any number of ways. But yeah. Um, I've started to spell this out in the OFP a little more. Where I'll write someone's like an OFP 55 and say like this is a number three starter on talent but he's only going to throw 150 innings or something. Yeah. Okay, 150 I've innings of that, that version of the guy. I yeah. don't know if that's, you know... I don't know if that's a effective or precise enough description of what these guys are. And there's a lot of variance baked into that as well. Maybe Hauk's just a guy that can... So I guess, what are the... How much are those extra 25 innings worth from like 150 to 175 to an organization? <sighs> I don't know. I don't know. You're taking it's like middle innings too, so you're not using your best relievers. You want to do like chaining stuff. I mean, I'd use the Red Sox bullpen here as an example, but it's you know such a bad. I mean, actually, the Red Sox bullpen isn't isn't that bad. Now that I think about it, so maybe this is this is a good example. The difference between I don't even know how to phrase this, but. I was going to say, if I was trying to find a pitcher on the Red Sox, it's going to consistently get like into the seventh inning, but that probably is not a thing that exists in 2021. But I guess the difference between... I'll, you know, when you have to pull Tanner Houck after five and a third, you're throwing like Austin Bryce 
or Darwin's in. You're not getting into like Andriese and Adovino. Yeah. You know, it's like a Mets example. If you're throwing Joey Lucchese, who I think is sort of the Mets example of tenor, the best Mets example of tenor Hauk. It's mean you're not using an opener. And they could use an opener with Hauk too. You could throw like Darwin's in for an inning. Uh, that might be an actually an interesting strategy. Um, you're going to see like Dellen Batances instead of Trevor May. Like the way the Mets are going to draw up most Jacob DeGrom starts this year are DeGrom for seven, Trevor May for eight, and Diaz for nine, assuming it's within three runs. The way they're going to draw up Joey Lucchese starts are literally an opener to try to get a little bit more depth out of Lucchese. And then it's going to be like lefty-righty matchups with Aaron Loop and I guess Robert Gazelman for now. Maybe Familia. And when you do that over 25, 30 starts, I think it does make a difference. Again, it's tough. We're getting past sort of the intent i think of ofp or prospect evaluation in general we probably shouldn't start that podcast right but i mean the ultimate question that yeah the ultimate question that we're trying to answer is how good do we think this guy is going to be like i think (laughs) you said i think tanner halk might be good now you can figure out the rest basically if you're a major (laughs) league organization i think chris rodriguez is good he's going to use in a very different way than tanner halk is he really long term though? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Right, you're just uh, trying. You're ultimately just trying to fill innings, right? That's all it is. Well, you're get outs. Trying, trying to, to you have twenty seven outs. You got to get. Yeah, yes. you have twenty seven outs. You have to get. Right. Good innings. Go to the Facebook group because we do have one Facebook question. From Charles, Q for the P, with no games and no more season preview content left. Seems like a good time to ask who you think are the best defensive Mets at each position in your lifetime. The first comment dives right in. Who is a better defender, Hernandez or Olerud? Uh, it was Keith Hernandez. Keith Hernandez is the case to be the best defensive first baseman of all time. Right. He would have been a shortstop except he threw it <laughs> the wrong hand. Right. And like Olerud is a very good defensive first baseman. You know, won a few gold gloves. But yeah, Keith Hernandez at first base makes it easy. Best second base defender in my lifetime. Fonzie, I guess, probably. Yeah, I was going to say Alfonso before he screwed his back up. Um, The Mets have not had a whole lot (laughs) of good second second baseman in this time frame. Yeah. Um, I guess lifetime goes back to 86 for both of us. Yeah, we'll put the cut off there. That's fine. Yeah. Um, like the 86 group, though, right? Yeah. So I'm trying to... Like, I don't have the ability to compare, compare like, like Wally Backman or... And yeah. Tuffle, yeah. And then the end like, yeah. Raphael Santana against Ordonez. I mean, the answer is going to be Ordonez for shortstop, so... Yeah. I I think the answer is Edgardo Alfonso. Yeah. But I don't... I don't have... I don't have the ability to compare Tuffle or Backman here, really. Third base is Robin Ventura. I don't think that's particularly difficult. 
Yeah, I think that's right. Shortstops are done, yeah, as I don't think that's particularly difficult either. Francisco Lindor has not played a game as a match. Yes. That will, like, change. Honestly, that will change literally tomorrow. And I don't... I'm not saying Lindor... Oh, Corey Seager's out of the game and Gavin Lux is in. That's uh, it's not good. It's not good. Um, I like... This idea might dewy-eyed teenage years, but I'm not convinced Lindor is a better defender than Ordonez. I mean, he might, he's going to be a better defender for a longer period of time. I'm not sure he, at his peak he'll be as good as Ordonez was. I'll put it that way. I think we should do outfield as three spots as opposed to because yeah. I really don't want to have to think about well, like... After, yeah. Um, I think the answers to this are Juan Ligaris, Carlos Beltran, and Mike Cameron. Yeah, I think that's probably right. Um... You know, if you want to get into corners, jeez, uh, how that? <laughs> I don't, I don't even know. Cliff Floyd was pretty good. Curtis Granderson was pretty good. Cespedes was good at times. Uh, Bernard Gilkey was a very good corner outfielder. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Uh, catcher is probably just Gary Carter. Yeah, yeah, uh, they haven't like I know Piazza comes out pretty well by our framing metrics, but I think on overall imbalance, I take Carter pretty comfortably. Yeah. Uh, best I really care about best defensive pitcher. Does anyone actually care about that? Uh, I mean, I mean, R. A. Dickey was a very good defensive catch pitcher. Yeah, yeah. Um. Is the answer. I recall Brett Saberhagen being a very good defensive pitcher. I, I was, yeah, I think he won a few Gold Gloves. Um, yeah, like we're we're getting yeah, into we're some getting weird. we're getting into the weeds here. Mike Hampton was an excellent defensive. He was pitcher. Uh, Jacob McGrath is. Yeah, Saberhagen only won one Gold Glove as yeah. a pitcher. That was just Mike Hampton season. might actually be the answer to this. Might be Mike Hampton. Yeah, it might be Mike Hampton. Mike Hampton was a really good defensive pitcher. You know, Mike Hampton played until 2010. Yeah, he kicked around as like a, like a spot start, yeah. lefty relief type guy for a little, for like longer than you'd think. Uh, all right. I don't think there's much for wrestling. Like, I'm aware that the Ibushi... I saw that Brady tweeted that the Ibushi... Uh, Australian match was good, but not as good as you'd think, which, I mean, I'm, I'm going to get around to watch it, maybe at some point. I'm just not super... I still don't watch Dynamite from this week. I'm informed it was Dynamite very was very good. Yeah, I'll get I'll get around to it before next week's I mean, Dynamite, listen, I sat on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, I was canceling my New Japan World subscription. Yeah. I canceled my New Japan World subscription. I have no intention of watching this. Go through that 10 bucks a month to Dragon Gate. Watch I, some Dragon I, Gate. I, did not I heard the show was not particularly good. Um you know. No. I am not surprised because, you know New Japan hasn't been good for a bit. Yeah. yeah. I mean really since Naito won the double titles. And granted that's been basically the length of the pandemic and they're off for several months in there and yeah. Gavin Lux just fired one from the 5.5 hole, shoulder high. I mean, Alan Forel, who's obviously a mm-hmm. 
very significant uh, Japanese wrestling fan and has been a huge New Japan fan for the last decade. A bag average boring show with an endless list of things that turned me off. This is the least I've cared about New Japan since I became a fully invested fan of their product in April 2007. Best of luck to them. It was a good run. That's like basically how I feel right now. I mean, I didn't watch this show. I can't I, imagine getting into New Japan in literally April of 2007. But I, You know, yeah, sure. That was... New Japan really didn't get good until like chaos really formed yeah i guess secure like, Gen- i was look up the secure mm-hmm. genesis show and yeah like i know a lot of 2007 people the, but not a thing that exists apparently a lot of people put the turning of the tide either at like minoru's the minoru suzuki tanahashi feud yeah. which i think is 2012 or okada's return i would actually backdate it a little more to nakamura's heel turn in the chaos formation but in any event, all of these are several years after 2007. <laughs> I have found the week that was in New Japan Pro Wrestling World History. 2007 was Black Tights Nakamura having two-star matches in every main event that was ever happening. Yeah, so. not actually, I just want like a good card from... I have to go to Cage. I don't want to go to Cage match. I gotta take the dogs for a walk. But we're gonna do this, and then we'll wrap up. Ah... <sighs> I just saw Giant Bernard, so there's also that. Giant Bernard was there in 2007, apparently. New Japan Pro Wrestling, cage match. I just want, like, a big show from March or April. I tried to look up Secure Genesis, but there were no events in... Uh, Secure Genesis only dates back, like, seven or eight years. Uh, it doesn't go all the way back, so we will quickly find a 2007... Big it was April, April 2007, so I assume something, something happened. happened to the... <laughs> Let's find out how Alan 4L got fully invested. It's only on this page. April 2007. That was apparently when... 35th anniversary tour. Yuji Nagata and Tanahashi were feuding over the IWGP title. Yeah. So, Let's see if sure. there's like a big show here. Sure. NJ, all right, New Japan Wrestle Land Nice. This is, this is like a Cork and Hall show or something. There's, I'm just gonna look. It was yeah. their 35th anniversary tour. Yeah, the, here, here's the card. I have the card. Okay, you, we'll we'll go top to bottom here, or yeah. bottom to top. Uh, El Samurai and Yujiro uh, defeat uh, Hirasawa, who I believe became Captain New Japan, and Ishikari, who became Taichi. Yeah. Um, that was, I assume, a Young Lions match. Right. Um, six-man tag. BB Hulk, Jushin Liger, and Mulatto Collection AT. Yeah. Right Kochi Katamoto, Wataro so, yeah. Inoue, and Young Lion Tetsuya Naito. Amazing. I kind of want to watch this show now just to see... Uh... Ricky Choshu and um, Izuka defeat Hanma and Yano. Okay. Oh, God. This is a match so funny. I can't even... Yeah. I really want to see this match right yeah. now. Manabu Nakanishi defeats Orlando Jordan. Wow. <laughs> um, Black Strong Machine and Nakamura defeat Makabe and Ishii. Mm-hmm. Um, War 
International Junior yes. Heavyweight Tag Title Match. Uh, Gato and Jado defeat <laughs> Misaki Mochizuki and Kanda. Makes sense, yeah. IWGP Junior Heavyweight Title Match. Uh, Minoru, this is Minoru Tanaka, mm-hmm. um, defeats Risuke Taguchi. Yeah. IWGP Tag Title Match. Giant. <laughs> Giant Bernard and Travis Tomko yeah. defeat Tenzan and Koshinaka. Koshinaka was old even at this point. Yes. So was Tenzan, frankly. Yeah. <laughs> and the main event, Nagata beats Tanahashi to win the IWGP title. That got four and a quarter stars in the Observer. I kind of want to watch this show. Oh, God. I, yeah. I, I just, it seems like it would be bad. It does seem like it would be bad. But hey, whatever. Uh, yeah, might have been better than Secure Genesis. I it sounds, yeah, more this was in- also, it sounds more interesting than Secure Genesis. This was also around the time when they were doing a lot of TNA involvement in New mm. Japan, and I'm wondering if that's how Alan got involved because yeah. that would at least sort of make sense. All right, that's good. I can go walk the dogs now that we've done a yeah. cage match wrestling segment on the show. Uh, then we Mets baseball to talk about next week, probably on another edition but for all you kids out there Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.